The British government has embarked on a massive programme of public sector reform. Almost half a million public servants will lose their jobs as the coalition tries to rein in its huge deficit. In this Insight programme, Radio New Zealand's political reporter Chris Bramwell travelled to the United Kingdom to gauge response to the cuts and the potential impact. The Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today is the day when Britain steps back from the brink, when we confront confront the bills from a decade of debt. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, begins his hour-long speech to the British Commons, outlining the government's plans to deal with its budget deficit. It's been estimated by officials that 480,000 public sector employees will lose their jobs in the next four years as a result of the reforms. So why do the cuts have to run so deep? At £109 billion, Britain's deficit is the largest in Europe. It's a structural deficit because even if the economy starts to do well, the British government will still be spending more than it has the potential to earn in taxes. Economists say the only solution is massive cutbacks to bring the government's spending back under control. George Osborne says it's because of the deficit and the country's high debt repayments that something has to be done. To back down now and abandon our plans would be the road to economic ruin. We will stick to the course. We will secure our country's stability. We will not take Britain back to the brink of bankruptcy. George Osborne wants to clear the deficit in four years, which is an ambitious target. The situation in the UK is that we saw a very sharp increase in government borrowing during the period of the financial crisis and the recession. Gemma Tetlow is the Programme Director for the Institute for Fiscal Studies' work on pensions, savings and public finances. So in the absence of measures to try and cut public spending or increase taxation, we'd be in a position of borrowing something like 7% of GDP permanently going forwards. And that would lead to a a spiralling debt situation. So what the UK government has done is to implement a package of reforms to try and cut annual borrowing. But is the government's approach towards cutting that borrowing and reining in the budget deficit the right one? No, I mean, I think that I think the government is actually taking the wrong approach to the deficit. Rick Muir is the Associate Director for Public Service Reform at the left-wing Institute of Public Policy Research. Clearly there is a deficit and we need to get it down. No one denies that. The first point is I think they, they have exaggerated the scale of the crisis. So they've compared the UK to Greece, Portugal and Ireland. Whereas in fact, you know, the situation here is very different because they talk a lot about the deficit. But in fact, if you look at the total amount of debt that we have as a country, it's much less than is the case in the case of Ireland, Greece and Portugal. And it's actually pretty average among the G7. So although our deficit is high, our overall sort of quantum of debt is not that bad. But while it might not be that bad compared to some countries, the British government is paying £43 billion a year in debt interest, which works out to about £120 million every day. Expatriate New Zealander Patrick Nolan is now the chief economist at the right-wing British think tank Reform. He says Britain's large and increasing debt is why government spending must be cut back. Dr Nolan says the spending review is something the coalition had to do. 
the challenge is that this is an incredibly difficult thing to go through. New Zealand went through this in the 1990s and, and people still argue about it and it still, still has left scars. And in a way, the UK hasn't learned from its previous experiences of consolidation. The UK went through some of these changes in the 1980s under Margaret Thatcher and in the 1990s. But the problem that they had is that they started spending again. Once they got their deficit under control, they just started spending. And that's not what happened in New Zealand. We managed to keep spending under control in New Zealand. Patrick Nolan says he's concerned that the government may not see the reforms through because of the vocal opposition. And that opposition is loud and determined. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this year's London May Day Rally. An estimated 10,000 people packed out London's Trafalgar Square on May Day. A small crowd compared with the reported quarter of a million that marched six weeks earlier in protest at the public spending cuts. But a vocal rally nonetheless. Sarah Veal from the Trades Union Congress, the British equivalent of New Zealand's Council of Trade Unions, addresses the crowd. This Conservative-led government's decision to cut £81 billion from public spending over the next four years is going to have a devastating effect on our services, the services on which millions of people in this country rely. The following day, I travelled to the TUC offices to talk to Ms Veal's colleague, Alice Hood. Hello, I'm here to see Alice Hood from TUC. Ms Hood is the TUC senior policy officer working on public services. The way that the government's going about tackling the deficit is trying to eliminate the deficit altogether within four years and doing about 80% of that through cuts and the remaining 20% through tax rises. And those tax rises that they've chosen are the ones that we would argue are the least fair. So primarily VAT, which hits poorer people hardest because they spend more of their income. So what we've been arguing is that this is far too fast, it's far too deep, and it's got far too great a focus on cuts rather than on the kind of measures that we'd like to see, which would be much more of a focus on fair taxation. Rick Muir from the Institute of Public Policy Research also believes the balance isn't right and that the government is too focused on spending cuts. He says the burden should be shifted a bit more towards tax increases on those who've got the broadest shoulders and there should be more of a focus on economic growth. When we had the general election, the economy was growing, so we'd come out of the crisis um, and under the Labour government we had there was growth in the economy and employment was falling. And that has now gone into reverse, and I think because consumers aren't spending as much and because businesses aren't investing, and because they're worried about the government, the impact of the government's massive fiscal adjustment programme. So I would argue that it's too heavily weighted on spending cuts and it, it, they're doing it too quickly, trying to eliminate the entire structural deficit um, in this parliament, which no one before the election and no serious economist was arguing for, I think is wrong. The political correspondent for The Economist magazine, Janin Ganesh, says the single biggest question around the reforms is, 
is the pace of fiscal austerity killing an already weak economic recovery. He says that was a very strong suspicion a few months ago when it was revealed the British economy had actually slipped back into negative growth in the last quarter of 2010. He says the figures for the first quarter of 2011, which show the economy had grown but only by 0.5%, mean there's still some alarm about the effect the spending cuts might be having on economic growth. What George Osborne, the Chancellor, would say in response is that the amount of spending being done is, is massive by any standards. Last year, spending accounted for about half of all of British GDP, which is a huge number. And so there's really, relatively little to be gained by spending even more than the government is doing at the moment. And the second thing he would say is that spending would put Britain at risk of a sovereign debt crisis. Its borrowing costs internationally could, could grow, and that would have a far more devastating impact on the recovery than anything else. And so there is a risk, but I think George Osborne at the moment is quite confident that his arguments against what's known as a plan B, which is slowing down the, the pace of, of fiscal austerity, his argument against it, I think, is, is, is quite persuasive for the time being. But Rick Muir says the previous Labour government proposed to half the deficit over four years, which he said would have been more sensitive to the needs of the economy. And when that was announced, there was no sort of market uh, credibility problem with that. I think, um, you, you know, what you have to do with the markets is demonstrate that you will stick to what, what you're trying to do. I mean, one problem with what the government is doing in relation to public services is that it's front-loading a lot of the cuts in the first two years, which means, you know, so local authorities, the, the police, other major public services are having to basically do kind of slash-and-burn approaches rather than thinking, well, if we could reconfigure services, the things that take a longer period of time, restructuring, reconfiguring, look at issues like overtime, pay conditions, all those things which take time to negotiate and work through. Um, you could save money in the longer term by doing those things that, that take a bit more time to get right, rather than essentially what's happening now, which is a lot of salami slicing, where people are just rushing to, f to fill a hole in their, in their budget by slashing the, the easiest things, which are not necessarily the most sensible things to cut. Under George Osborne's spending review, funding to local councils will be reduced by 7.1% per year for four years. The Lewisham Council in south-east London has moved quickly to make cuts, announcing the closure of five libraries across the borough. We are now approaching New Cross Gate. And one of those libraries is here at New Cross Gate. There are just over 15,000 people living in New Cross and are pretty packed in, with a population density of 100 people per hectare. <laughs> The library is apparently just down the street from the station. Oh, I just, I just walked past it, it's quite small. So the council's told me I'm not allowed to interview the staff or anyone inside the library, so I'll just wait outside and talk to some locals, which I'm entitled to do. It's very pity, because I love books, I love library, and it's very good when you have one near your home, you know. Because, for example, I'm with a child and it's... Uh, easy to me to go here than to Lewisham but if it is closing I, I have to go to Lewisham then. It's terrible really because certain times people want to just go and read a book but they're shutting it down now there's a place where people can go and that so yeah. it's not a good thing really and truly. Children need a library at least around here to be able to get books to read or just sit 
sit down somewhere, you know, read or do something, but it's a real shame. I think it's a disgrace, really. All right, yeah, no, I don't want it to close. Do you use it often? Yeah, every yeah. week. So what will it mean for you if it closes down? Um, I'll have to go to the Lewisham one, but I work full-time, so, and I live in this area, so it'd just be, it'd just be um, more of a trek to get a service that we should have had for years anyway and we pay for. In a statement, the Lewisham Council says the spending review announcements mean it's been forced to reduce its budget by £88 million over the next four years. And the library services decision is just one of the ways it's trying to find the savings. It says making the savings is the greatest financial challenge the council has ever had to face. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, George Osborne, says to help councils, the government will devolve financial control. Gemma Tetlow from the Institute for Fiscal Studies says there are pluses and minuses to that decision. One argument in favour of uh, devolving a responsibility for spending decisions is that those on the ground are closer to their communities and know how efficient, best and most efficiently to allocate the spending to the needs of their communities. Uh, going against that would be that perhaps there are economies of scale in commissioning services, in delivering services, as uh, so there's a trade-off between those. One of the most contentious of the government's proposals is the changes to Britain's National Health Service or the NHS. Patients will be at the heart of the new NHS. Our guiding principle will be no decision about me without me. Britain's Health Secretary Andrew Lansley sets out the Coalition's plans for reform of the NHS to the House of Commons. The proposals include devolving responsibility to local authorities for local health improvement budgets in the hope it will link health and social care services together. And the commissioning of NHS services will be handed over to a consortia of GPs. Alice Hood from the Trades Union Congress says there's a potential conflict in that decision for GPs wanting to provide the best and most appropriate care for their patients, but also having to manage the budgeting process. Secondly, there's an issue around just the sheer administrative load of managing the commissioning process. And we have fears that you could see big private companies coming in to take that load off the GPs because the GPs quite rightly want to spend their time on clinical work with patients. But then you see another kind of route into the NHS for these big private companies that's not necessarily terribly accountable, not necessarily kind of working to the the aims and objectives we'd like to see. The Coalition also wants to make it easier for private companies to provide medical services in the NHS. Rick Muir from the Institute for Public Policy Research says the problem with that is that the Coalition wants competition to spread out across the whole of the service rather than focusing on areas where it makes sense. So, for example, competition between providers delivering some episodic care in the health service, such as, you know, if you want your hip replaced, you know, it probably makes sense, or cataract operations, things that you go in, you have once, you can make a judgment as to who will do it quicker and all of that. Um, competition probably makes sense in those areas. But increasingly in the health service, a lot of the, um, the needs that we're having to meet are around chronic, multiple, long-term conditions, where actually what you need is planning um, and coordination rather than competition. So I think you have to focus on areas where it will work. And I think the government is being very ideological, basically, in, in trying to let competition run out across the whole of the service. And it's essentially saying it wants to promote competition in every part of the health 
so there's nothing that's a mistake. Rick Muir says the proposals mean there's a real risk of cherry-picking by private providers. Essentially what you would have then is the National Health Service being left with the most costly and most difficult work while the private sector makes money out of de delivering the easier stuff. And there is a risk then that you leave the National Health Service with a massive burden and, it, and that wouldn't be right. So, I mean, I'm in favour of managed markets in some parts of the health service where it's demonstrated empirically that can improve standards, but it has to be managed, it has to be regulated. And there shouldn't be an assumption that competition is always the best solution. I think that's a mistake which this government has made. And it is now having to make U-turns on this because, in particular, the Liberal Democrats, the junior coalition partner, uh, have started to get very worried about some of the implications. Patrick Nolan from Reform says the coalition has undermined its whole approach to reducing the deficit by saying that the NHS will be ring-fenced from spending cuts. He says there's been a huge increase in NHS spending and all it's done is push up the cost of health services. In his opinion, one of the main problems with the service is that it's free. So, for example, the UK has some of the highest paid GPs in the world, but we've seen over recent years their hours of work have dropped. So there's real problems with the health service. Now, Andrew Lansley's reforms, which were aimed at restructuring the way that the NHS was organised by making GPs commissioners, didn't actually address the real problem, which is the fact that the NHS is free at point of um, use. And so there's no incentives anywhere for anyone to take care of their own health or the system to become more efficient or to focus on the needs of patients. Patrick Nolan says the system is purely focused on itself and public funding. He says some sort of charge for service should be introduced. We have to have a more sort of open and mature debate about health service um, in this country in the sense that charging has to be part of it but we also have to look at the workforce, we have to consider the power of unions and whether or not the system as a whole is actually doing what's in the interest of patients rather than just what's in the interest of providers because it's a heavily provider dominated system the NHS, it does what the providers want to do, it doesn't provide healthcare very well. During the run-up to the last election, part of the Conservatives' campaign included stating there will be no cuts to the budget of the NHS. The political correspondent for The Economist, Janin Ganesh, says it has stuck to that. What has developed over the past year is that there will be a lot of structural reform of the NHS. So power will be pushed from central government to a local level. GPs will do a lot of commissioning. There will be a lot of organisational change and that is very controversial and the government has suffered a lot of criticism and hostility from the general public and from doctors and nurses to these proposed changes. But the actual original fiscal pledge to protect the NHS remains true and that in itself is controversial because it means that spending cuts from all the other different departments like education, welfare, transport etc are all the greater because the NHS is a huge budget, roughly £100 billion a year and if you don't cut from there and you're having a very strong deficit reduction programme, all other aspects of public spending have to suffer. But Alice Hood says the coalition has broken some promises on the NHS. There was a very clear commitment that there would be no more top-down reorganisations of the NHS. And what we're seeing is a massive top-down reorganisation of the NHS, which the chief executive of the NHS has said is so big it can be seen from space. And Alice Hood says overall there's no doubt that the approach to cutting the deficit will affect Britain's social cohesion, primarily because it will hit the poorest the hardest. Once you combine that with some of the rhetoric that we're seeing about 
people who claim benefits and so on, which is can be quite nasty rhetoric about ultimately what is people living on extremely low incomes, people with disabilities and so on. There's the potential that that's all quite damaging for social cohesion, um, particularly once you combine that with high unemployment and, and so on. Patrick Nolan from Reform says one aspect of whether the reforms are fair is the question, should future generations have to sort out massive deficits and debt, especially when the ageing population is taken into account? He thinks the reforms are fair on all parts of society. We're going to see a lot of lower income communities who appear to be losing out a lot, simply because they're the ones who are receiving a lot of the services to begin with. Um, Isn't that how it should be? Yes, it is. But if we look at the UK's welfare state, one, one really interesting aspect, and where it's very different from New Zealand, and this is where the debate is, has to be, sort of, we have to recognise this difference, is that so much of the welfare actually doesn't go to people in need in the UK. It's a very different type of welfare state. It has huge levels of middle class welfare. We did some research um, over the last couple of years, and we estimated that around £30 billion a year uh, goes to people who are not in need. Shannon Ganesh says public opinion polls indicate that people are worried about the depth and speed of the deficit reduction programme that the government is pursuing. And he says that reflects the result of the last election, where Labour and the Liberal Democrats both proposed a much slower deficit reduction programme than the Conservatives. And those two parties collectively won 55% of the vote, where the Tories only won 35 to 36%. You could argue that there's a lack of political mandate for the speed of fiscal austerity that, that the government is pursuing. But I think things are a bit more complicated than that. I think because of various foreign crises over the past year, like the sovereign debt problems in Europe, the general crisis with the euro, people are more willing to believe that severe action on the deficit is necessary, even if they didn't like it a year ago, even if they still have reservations about the impact it will have not only on public services but on economic growth. And then there's another factor you have to take into account, which is that the opinion polls suggest that even though the public are wary about the spending cuts, the people they ultimately blame for them were the last Labour government. And similarly, in New Zealand, the national-led government often blames the previous Labour-led government for the current state of the books. As a comparison, the British Crown ran a structural deficit equal to about 8% of GDP in 2010, while the New Zealand Crown was running a structural deficit of about half of that, or about 4% of New Zealand GDP at the time. Delivering his third budget on May the 19th, New Zealand's Finance Minister Bill English outlined the savings he wants from New Zealand's public service. In Budget 2011, $980 million of efficiency savings will be sought from the public sector over three years, starting from 1 July 2012. The Government will require agencies to fund the cost of KiwiSaver and some state sector retirement schemes for their employees. This will generate savings of $650 million. A further $330 million in back office savings will be sought from 31 core government agencies. Bill English says the savings are part of the ongoing improvement the government expects from the public service and are consistent with the adjustment that households and businesses have had to make in recent years. He told reporters the day after the budget that the government will continue to work with the leadership of the public sector and those on the front line. Because we've got 12 months now to work through the next stage of efficiency in the public service. 
uh, we want to keep in mind public services have been working for the last couple of years pretty hard on delivering more services for less. So they're in, they're in reasonable shape to make further changes. But next year, would we could we expect to see fewer government departments? Well, in some cases that may be an answer. We've already reduced the number, uh, for instance, with the merger of MAF and the Ministry of Fisheries. But our main focus is on providing more services. If less government departments is going to help that, then we might do it. But you've got to, we don't want to restructure for the sake of it. Have you looked at the, the British experience, where obviously there have been quite savage cuts in the public service? We have, uh, we've certainly not going down the, the same road as the British or any number of other developed countries. We're taking a more considered approach. We've been signalling very clearly what changes we want to see and giving everybody time to adjust to those changes. Are you concerned the public sector might cut things you don't want cut? I mean, you're basically just giving them a figure. They can take it from where they want. What if they cut something you want to keep? Oh, no, they've all got to produce four-year plans, which will enable us to have a good look at, at whether they're cutting services that are absolutely necessary. I think they've moved past the traditional game playing. Traditionally, the public service would rock up with ideas which they know ministers will turn down. Uh, but in fact, a lot of this is not about cutting services, it's just about more efficient delivery of the services, and we'll work closely with them to, to ensure that that's what we get. But the National Secretary of the Public Service Association, Brenda Pilot, says the sector has already done a lot of belt tightening, resulting in about 2,000 job losses. We've seen some instances of um, departments closing down smaller centres. You know, the ACC offices in Blenheim and Thames, for example, those don't feel to me like examples of better services. And I'm sure that most citizens wouldn't, wouldn't see it that way either. So jobs are certainly going to go and we think we're now at the point where we'll start to see service cuts. Brenda Pilot says about 40,000 people work in New Zealand's public service and the operating cost is actually quite small. Of course the total crown spend is way in excess of what the, the operating costs of the public service are and they, they seem to spend an inordinate amount of attention on that you know, relatively small group of people and that relatively small in terms of the whole government spend part of the, uh, part of the picture. 2% of the workforce works in the in the public sector and um, you know it's like trying to wring blood out of a stone to try and get savings of that order out of such a small group of people let alone ones who in my view are contributing a high high degree of value quite considerably beyond what you'd expect from that kind of cost and that number of people. Brenda Pilot says the government is playing politics with the public sector cuts as none of them will take effect until after the election. But that can also be read another way and that is that National will campaign on the spending cut changes and if it wins November's election will consider that a mandate for the changes. So are there any lessons for New Zealand in the British situation? Patrick Nolan says, if anything, the lessons go the other way. Some of the lessons that could be drawn, you know, I think really are around the need for consistency. You do have to have a very consistent set of principles that apply across areas. And you can't ring-fence certain areas of expenditure. So if you're going to look to make savings, you've kind of got to do it in an honest and transparent way across all areas of spending. So in the New Zealand context, for example, that would mean looking at things like the KiwiSaver subsidy. It would mean looking at things like working for families. It would mean looking at things like the age of New Zealand superannuation entitlement because that's where the money is. And those big areas of spending can't be outside the value for money agenda.
while the fiscal situation is different in the UK and New Zealand, there are similarities in the response. That response may be different by an order of magnitude, but the messages are the same. Government spending is under the gun, and the way it provides services in both countries will change. That Radio New Zealand Insight was written and presented by Chris Bramwell. It was produced by Philip Tolley with technical production by Steve Burridge.